This is a CNA podcast. Doors are closing. If you work for a large organisation, chances are the employee mix when it comes to nationality is diverse. It is common to have colleagues who hail from India, China, Vietnam and the Philippines, especially if your business requires highly specialised skill sets like software development. According to the Ministry of Manpower, there are slightly more than 1.2 million foreigners. This includes domestic workers and migrant labour. Singapore has and will always be open to the best of talent from anywhere. The latest government announcement of the ONE Pass is part of a decades-long foreign talent framework. Those who live and work in Singapore holding employment passes of various shades. Our discussion today centres on the everyday workplace interactions of people from different countries. What can management do to engender a better understanding of different cultures? And what can everyone do to manage tensions which may inevitably bubble up to the surface? With us to talk us through this is Tony Lowe, partner at the Hydric and Struggles Singapore office. Welcome, Tony. Well, thanks for having me here. You must have been following the announcements of the ONE Pass. We had Dr. Tan Si Ling on, mm. and he basically laid out the government's thinking behind this. And what struck me was that listen, we are on hyperdrive. We are on a jet stream. And so we need the people there. And then the rest of us can hop on, that kind of thing. I know you started your career at the Manpower Ministry, right? And at one point, based in London, to attract global talent. That must have been several decades ago. <laughs> what has changed? Well, the people have changed. The talent has changed. Mm. But I think the posture and indeed the policy position of the government now from outside in has not changed in terms of being open. The ONE pass really is a signal of the government's ambition to compete on the world stage and openness to the world's best to basically bring their talent, bring their knowledge, bring their IP here to Singapore and start the unit of production with the local workforce. And I agree with Minister Tan, this is extremely important. I was just sharing that Singapore operate and compete on the world stage. Yeah. We are too small as a base yeah. for workforce or for markets. Yeah, but you were saying also that it's our commitment that we want the high-skilled, high-tech that kind of economy that we want, yes. which naturally flows down to the it talent, does. right? It's a choice. We choose to have a high-tech, mm-hmm. highly-skilled, high-value-add economy yeah then by definition, this means we have to compete with the best and the brightest and be part of the world markets, be part of the world supply chain. Mm. This does mean that we have to have a diverse workforce to serve a diverse customer base. The companies based out of Singapore, whether local or MNCs, Mm. very often, if not all of them, do not just serve Singaporeans other than the domestic sectors, which is F&B, transport related. We're an export-driven economy. We serve the world. Mm-hmm. This means we operate at the frontier of innovation right. and creativity. Yep. And both of which are not a domain of a single nationality <laughs> or a single ethnicity. Yeah. The best and the brightest around the world create and innovate 
And once they are the first mover, we want them to bring their IP, their knowledge, their technical skills here to then build a base of creation, manufacturing, innovation. No doubt not big because we do not have tracts of land. Mm. We do not have a large workforce, but enough. Right. Enough to make a very good living, basically. Better than good living, actually. Yeah, and given that there's already so many MNCs in Singapore since the very beginning, we have so many global citizens who live and work among us, I'm very certain you personally have also worked with some of the best and brightest over your career. Could you share with us some of your personal experience, some of the good, some of the not-so-positive ones that our listeners may be interested to learn more as we look forward to a stage where there's going to be a lot more of them coming into the picture? Well, they're mostly positive. At Hydrogen Struggles, we do work with top teams in companies, both large locals and also MNCs, Mm. who are based out of Singapore, also around the region. Recently, I was working with a pharmaceutical company. The top team consists of 20 executives. There are 17 nationalities in that top team of 20, (laughs) as you can imagine. It's a global player running the APEC operations out of Singapore. Mm. And their country heads come from different parts of APEC. The Centre of Excellence is all led by highly talented nationalities that come from different parts of the Mm. world. Mm. What I find very inspiring is, while they're different, they're fast, slow thinkers, some are more articulate, others are more introspective, they all are commonly bound and unified by a common purpose. And that's the purpose of their company. Mm. And that is to bring healthcare to the consumer, for instance. And in this case, despite their differences. In fact, because of their differences, Mm. you see ideas, you see different ways of problem solving, you see them wanting to do and make a difference to the world as a team. And very often, Adrian, I think that's the beautiful part of my job, personally. It's very, very satisfying to bring the top team together, unify them on a common purpose, despite their differences, and to see the sparks fly. Mm. The teams actually do do very, very well. Mm. To your point around what are some of the negative components? uh, More tensions, I suppose. mm. When you tell me 17 out of 20 uh, different nationalities, you know what comes to my mind? The Tower of Babel. Like (laughs) it's like different people, completely different ways of doing things, certainly different accents, I'm sure. Right. So are there tensions around that? There are tensions that comes from communications differences, stylistic differences. But a lot of it does boils down to having that alignment and agreement and that compact among one another around how we want to work. First, why we are a team. And usually we would then work with them to define that, put it down. Then how do we want to win as a team? Mm. Also define that and put it down. And once you realise people write it down, people introspect, Mm. they think about why they're here to do what they're doing. So whose job is that though? Is it like the leader to say, okay guys, this is our common objective and we need to work towards that? Does the leader have to consciously do that? I would say it depends on the leader Mm. as a consulting answer. But everyone is a leader and it's not a cliche to Mm. say that. You'd have to take accountability Mm. to define and contribute to the team that you want to be in. That accountability is a place where we want to get everyone in the top team to be. It's mm. not someone else's job that actually brings So it's everybody's job. It is. But I think open communication works. If you sit down and say, okay, guys, we need to get this done. 
let's do this in the most effective way, communication is important, right? Yes, focus on why you are a team mm-hmm. and not why you are not a team or why you're individuals. Why you're different rather yeah. than what The commonalities similar. rather yeah, than what yeah. divides us. The beauty of diversity is we are different. Yeah. And one of the key questions that I get asked a lot is how do you make diversity and inclusion work? That very often is the wrong question, I feel. Mm. I think the right question or the right recognition is diversity is a fact. Mm. Three of us are different. We're sure. all Singaporeans. Yes. <laughs> Gender-wise, we're slightly different. Our background growing up is different. So yeah. diversity is a fact. That's something that you have to acknowledge. Mm. But inclusion is a choice. And how do you make that choice? Why are you making that choice? Mm. I talk about why you're a team. Yeah. How we want to win as a team. Yeah. I think that process of internalization mm. and then sharing it as a team brings the team to focus on right. why we're doing this. I really like that. I think inclusion as a choice is something that's not discussed openly, especially among bosses. They don't really talk about that. This is a fact. We have to work together. I feel like a lot of the times when we are upset with somebody who is different from us on the team at the workplace, Sometimes it could be because we are not looking at things from their perspective. I always wonder, if I were them and I had to uproot and come here and not have my friends or sometimes even my family and I have to work in this environment, it surely must not be easy, right? But we tend not to think of it that way. Do you think that that might be a factor? We all come with different predispositions towards being empathetic. Mm. It's something that can be learned. Mm. It's something that can be developed. We train our leaders to be curious and we call it a mood elevator. And we find that if we are able to stay at the curious level, which is middle, Mm. instead of going down to the lower levels of the mood elevator where you are judgmental, critical, skeptical and very negative. Just negative basically, yeah. As opposed to... The higher levels of your mood where you are open, where you are fun, Mm. spontaneous, and you generate ideas. When you find yourself moving up and down the mood elevator, and sometimes out of control, it's just something that comes to you. You want to stay at the level of curiosity, which is always doable for everyone. Yeah. You want to be curious around why is that person doing that thing, Mm. where that person could be coming from. You want to be asking those questions. And we find that Many of our high-performing leaders stay at that level more than the others mm, mm. and also create an inclusive environment for their teams yep. to be in. And inclusive leaders have that in abundance. Right. Uh, right. The ability to listen mm. actively, mm. to ask the right questions, and then, of course, to have a solution for the team that's right. inclusive and bring everybody in. And when the rest sees that in the leaders, and obviously they themselves are leaders in their own right, and then they practice that. It drives engagement. Right. So they emulate. If I see my boss Mm. being curious, being open, being kind to everyone on the team, then I can emulate that. Absolutely, absolutely. And more and more, Crispina, these days, having engaged employees is a huge, huge competitive advantage. Mm. And leaders who can drive engagement leads to higher retention, improves your employee value proposition, brand to attract Mm. talent. It's a huge, huge topic around purpose as well. Mm. Millennials, we're mm. talking about Gen Z. Oh, yeah. They're very much driven by being purpose-led. What's right. beyond the PNL? Mm. Mm. And if you can call that out, make the connection yourself, 
by role modeling, mm. but also for your team through inclusivity. Mm. I think you can then actually have a real competitive advantage. Hi, my name is Sarah Alcaldi, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Money Talks. Yes, we will be talking about money, but more than that, we'll also be talking about life, personal choices, lucky breaks, and how money is the thread running through it all. So look out for our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Would there also be a situation where companies take building talent a backseat? Because one of the key propositions for this whole thing is because we don't have people who are international enough, would this actually lead to even lesser intent to build up that internationalization experience in our local, given that you could just easily fill the gap through acquisition? That's a great question, Adrian. And I think we have to be careful about that. We want to be open. Mm. I'm always quite cautious about single-factor correlation. In this case, mm. salary, salary being the yeah. market test, therefore good talent. Mm. If I were to only use one test mm-hmm. or one criteria, I think salary is the one. But it doesn't cover everything. And if you look at the Compass framework the MOM rolled out a few months back, it has a comprehensive expression of what's important. Right. And two of the foundational factors or criteria is around nationality, Singaporean. Mm. and diversity of nationality in your company. Mm. And that's important. But the one past framework serves a different purpose. It wants to attract the best and the brightest who are creating and innovating at the frontier to come. Mm. Then what's important is then who is going to consist of the talents team. And if we don't have ready now Singaporeans to be part of the team, is there a strategy or a roadmap to make them ready tomorrow? Mm. Mm. Right. So the development of the locals has to come at the back and very closely mm. around mm. the company's effort, not just to bring the best and the brightest, but also to build a Singapore core around that. Not now, maybe two, three years, four, five years down the road. The person that succeeds and runs the talent. factory of the future is yeah. a local. Yeah. Maybe not the one that built it, but runs and scale. So this may be because in the initial years, we were still experimenting and there were some leakages in terms of the policy. But a lot of the complaints that we used to have among our readers was that when someone is hired at the very top and they tend to build their teams among the same nationalities. Of course, MOM has said that that's actually not acceptable. And if they find out, they will be taken to task. What can employees do? Like, what agency do they have? If, let's say, they see something they feel is not right, what should they do? From where I sit, and having interacted with top teams of different nationality, Hydrant Struggles is a top executive search firm. And when we receive a mandate from an employer, very often it is always the best man or the best woman for the job. Very seldom do you see a certain background, nationality, nationality yeah. as right. being a criteria. I think we should not deviate from that okay. because we want to compete. Sure. We want to be able to perform and performance is key. Now, as an employee, then I think it's important to ask ourselves, how do you become the best person mm. for the job? If not now, two, three years, mm, mm. four, five years down the road. And right. your best chance of getting that top job in a significant company is that they are here. Mm. in Singapore. Right. So that's something that I think we all have to understand. Once they're here, as a Singaporean, you have home ground advantage. Yeah. Everything 
is for you. Mm. Whether mm. it's the government policies, whether it's the investment in your training, mm. and even at the very, very top, the circulation of talent, the networking opportunities, the odds are stacked in the Singaporean's favour. Okay. But when it comes to the doorstep of the job, make no mistake, it's still the best man for the job mm. or the best woman for the job. And that's the reality? That's la. the reality. But getting there, you're getting every leg up. And I know the government is thinking about giving even more leg up. Mm. Because mm. that's constantly on our mind. That's the only way I think we can have a Singapore core mm. that supports a globally competitive corporate Oh, that's Doesn't hard make sense. <laughs> because you see, from an employee point of view, I mean, I'm just being honest. If my boss decides that the best person for the job is all of them are, say, from a certain nationality, I don't really have the power to change that decision. Do I know how things work? Do I know the backstory or how they've done this? I don't know. It's a little bit more complicated from the way I look at it. And that there are companies, their practices may not be ideal. But to your point, if they themselves don't have ideal practices, it'll show in their business. It'll show in the engagement of their employees because right. that matters, right? It matters. It shows in a less than meritocratic organisation climate. We know they are lagging. We know mm. they don't perform. And it shows in results, right. the business results. And we have to take heart and focus on the factors that we can control mm. and not so much how others bring their own people, build a team that's around. Right connections and background similarities more yeah. than performance. I know this can be a concern, but it is really for us to focus on ourselves, be right. competitive and use every advantage that we have. Mm. I think beside the skills aspect, going back to the international experience part, which obviously is solely lacking among Singaporeans, you yourself have been based overseas before and I actually had a chat with a few Singaporeans recently. Variety of reasons why they do not want to go overseas. For one young chap, he was based in Melbourne, but because of the limited food choices, decided to come back to Singapore. <laughs> Very interesting consideration. And another guy, oh, I cannot stand the politics in HQ. Another person, oh, what about my kids, PSLE and all that. A lot of concerns. I think we are so comfortable that we just do not want to go overseas. But for yourself, you took the leap. And given the experience, are there specific interesting angles that Singaporeans should look at or emphasise on to gain the best out of it and bring back that international experience to really put themselves on a different level. Yeah. Mm, that's a common refrain that I heard about Singaporeans. The ability to step up and take a bigger job requires you to have that global international perspective. And yeah. you won't have that unless you stay overseas. My own experience is the most competitive Singaporean talent actually don't suffer from that. They want to go out. They want to compete with the best. Mm. They do make huge sacrifices to be able to compete and have that international perspective. Especially amongst the millennials and the Gen Zs, I think um, the desire to work with the best and the brightest, to explore different markets, especially in Southeast Asia, I think is getting more and more pronounced. Especially when Southeast Asia is now the next hotspot for yep. economic development, growth, and as an engine of growth. The time zone is easier. The sense of adventure is there. And the food variety The is food good. variety. For sure. <laughs> Very important. And also, coming back to Singapore is not so difficult. Yeah. The challenge is always with the family, especially when they have children and schooling comes in. Then mm. it's not just about them and their career and the sacrifices they have to make. It's also what they're asking their families to make. 
on their behalf. Did you have that difficult choice to make? I was lucky when I lived overseas, I was still single. We started a family only after we decided to say, look, come back. Which is mm. why I also I started mm. my family slightly later. I see. So there are trade-offs. And we have worked with employers who then very deliberately design international rotations overseas to be at a part of their career where it's early enough when they have not had the family or if they were to bring a family, then you try to make sure that the benefits and compensation does cover, right. at least make the pain more manageable. Yeah. I think the Singaporeans have to want to stand up and be counted. They have mm-hmm. to want to do it because it is a very competitive talent market out there. I was just speaking to an Indian talent. We were talking about a job that we were considering him for. And the sense of hunger, he was just telling me, we're born to compete. Wow. I was just wondering, yeah, he said that (laughs) we're born to compete. Bring it on, basically. Wow. Obviously, there are more than one candidates for the top job. I used to work for an, an Indian employer and I have a couple of Indian colleagues. They told me the same thing. If we don't stand out and really be counted, we would be just one of the one billion people. Right. So we really have to get out of the system. But of course, having said that, there's also a lot of discomfort within what they feel in their home country that also drive them to get out mm-hmm. and become mm-hmm. immigrants in other countries. So I think that, unfortunately, is something that we lack here. We are so comfortable in this yes. tiny red dot. Everything is so simple. From one end to the other end, 45 minutes. One minute delay already complained. I guess Singaporean talent who wants to be competing at the global stage, they have to look past that. They have to look past the immediate comfort and really aim for the long-term benefits that come with it. We do a lot of assessments for top jobs. One of the areas that we look at to put in a layman's term is ambition. Ambition is not a negative word. Ambition is the desire to compete and to excel. And you can measure that. You can look at the way they respond to the questions we ask them, the way they see their own personal ambition coinciding, in fact, reinforcing the company's ambition. Mm, mm. And some of the best searing, burning drive, <laughs> to do, it comes out. It comes out. Yeah. And to your point around mentality, comfort, there is some shades of that for, for a us, candidate yeah. that's not always been competing, yes. not always been hustling. Mm-hmm. Nothing is to be taken for granted. Mm. Vis-a-vis someone who's, this is my entitlement. Right, yeah. and then we are talking shades here because yeah. they are all course, very course. very good. We are yeah. always talking. We are we're looking for that edge. Yeah, and that edge is ambition, is purposed, mm. is knowing what you bring, and its ability to then bring everyone together. So much more important than just pure talent. These are non-technical things. I guess it's like what you would look for in a good person who you want to hire. It's not just that everybody on paper is the same. Adrian and I have the same qualifications, etc. You're saying the personality, the drive, the ambition, that has to come out. And that's what makes the difference. Yes. Kobe Bryant, in his first game with Michael Jordan, was asking Michael Jordan for tips of improving his game. Mm. So always competing, always constantly trying to improve your game. Right. And that, you can say is innate, but part of it is also the environment sure. that that person... Can be developed, la, can, can be, be nurtured. Developed. La. Can be developed. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Tony. Really lovely speaking with you. Yes, Likewise. thank you so Thank much. you. 
the takeaway for me, Adrian, is that we need to try and see things from outside our own experiences and perspectives. And like Tony said, be as open as we can to learn from our foreign friends. But this won't really happen by chance. Companies need to make concerted efforts to ensure the environment is strong for these interpersonal relationships to take place. Thanks to our guests for spending time with us today and thank you to our listeners too. As ever, please give us your thoughts and ideas on what you'd like to hear. The team behind this podcast is Joanne Chan, Jacqueline Chan, Daniel Lee and Crispina Robert. And I'm Adrian Tan, signing off. <laughs>